Famous scenes with drama queens and heroes Acted out there on the silver screen Come grab a seat, popcorn is on me Welcome to Meet Me at the Movies, Noel T. Manning II here, talking cinema. That's what we do right here. We spend time engaging in that, whether it's the small screen, the big screen, and, and sometimes, as you, you may or may not have found out last week, we, we talk about things that are just pop culture related that entertain us, Thomas, entertain us. Thomas Manning. Uh, over there to my right. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm happy to be here. Uh, unfortunately, I misplaced my notes for the show. So, uh, you know, part of it, I'm kind of just pulling from the recesses of my mind. But, you know, we're, we're going to roll with it and have a good time with it. So. Well, that was like his, his number one, uh, like you got A's all the time in recess. So the yeah. recesses of your mind is pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty nice yeah, place to be pulling things from. Very active, for sure. Very active. Well, yeah. well today we're going to be engaging in uh, a lot of home delivery stuff. Uh, but also some things that are in theaters. Uh, for a few weeks now, uh, the movie Lightyear, this is that, that spin-off prequel, but is it a prequel of the Toy Story franchise, which is one of the most successful film franchises of all time. And so we had high expectations for Lightyear. Many people did. Uh, and uh, when, it, when it hit theaters, it didn't quite perform. And I, I want to put a little things into context, Thomas. Um, in, in three weeks, in the first three weeks that uh, Lightyear was out, uh, it grossed $106 million domestically, which is a, was pretty pitiful compared to what they expected. Uh, put it in context, Minions, The Rise of Gru, which is a prequel, uh, the fifth in the franchise, the Despicable Me franchise. The what franchise is that again? Despicable Me. There we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the fifth installment of this, and it, of course it was released over uh, the 4th of July weekend, but it made, what, uh, $125 million in just three days? So it made yeah. more in three days than Lightyear did in the first three weeks. So why is Lightyear underperforming? And then I'll get your review of this. Honestly, I don't really have an answer for that. Uh, I do know one of the reasons that Minions is performing so well uh, is that it's not just reaching the younger audiences, but like teenagers, you know, like 16, 17 year olds are going out in droves to see this because of a TikTok trend. And um, so it's not only reaching, you know, the, the five year olds, six year olds and the families and the families, but it's reaching, you know, the people like 10 years older than that uh, just because that's the power of TikTok and yeah. social media um, has really influenced the way that this movie is performing. So Yeah, I think a lot of people were kind of shocked about the lack of success uh, for Lightyear and uh, it's, you know, it's going to struggle. It's going to struggle to make its money back at the box office. Uh, and so we'll, we'll see what happens when it hits Disney+. Plus. So let's get your review of Lightyear. Yeah, so you kind of mentioned, is it a prequel? Is it uh, take place in the same universe, Toy Story? So basically the title card that uh, opens you know, right before the film explains that uh, this is the film that Andy from Toy Story went to watch like in 1995. And so that it became his favorite movie of all time. And that's why he bought the Buzz Lightyear toy. So it's, you know, it doesn't take place within the Toy Story universe, but so the buzz that it's we It's a movie within the Toy Story <laughs> exactly, universe. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so yeah, and uh, Chris Evans is voicing Buzz Lightyear in this. Uh, instead not, of Tim instead Allen. Instead of Tim Allen, who was, you know, so iconic in that role for 20, 25 years. Um, I do think Chris Evans does a solid job. I mean, he's playing 
heroic figure, and we all know that he can be a great hero. Uh, he was Captain America for a decade. Um, so, he you was know, even the Human Torch. So, I mean, he, he, he knows was this in, hero thing. He was indeed. So <laughs> I, I think the voice performances are really solid, and I think you know, the characterizations are really well done. Uh, Taika Waititi has a voice role in this film, and the act, actually the character the, that's animated is modeled to look like Taika Waititi. Really? So that, that's pretty okay. fun. Okay. Um, and everything from you know a spectacle standpoint and from visual standpoint, this film was gorgeous. Like. Anytime I watch a new animated film, it just kind of makes my brain hurt trying to figure out how they can make something look yeah. this good. Um, and I didn't even. And it keeps getting better. It, it does. Keeps getting better. It does. And you know, I didn't even see this in IMAX, but I talked to a Christian Jessup, you know, former, yeah. uh, former co-host of the show, yeah. who said he saw an IMAX and that um, in some of the action sequences, the ratio expanded to the you know full screen. Um, right. And uh, but even watching it in a standard theater. Um, it was still very immersive and engrossing experience. Um, but where, where it really fell flat for me was the story. For the first you know, hour, hour and 10 minutes or so, I was like, okay, are they gonna add anything interesting or charming to the, um, wow. to the story? Um, I know it, it was almost modeled to be a throwback 90s sci-fi action adventure. Yep. And that's, I know that's kind of what they were going for, but it didn't have kind of the charm and the, the, the pulp factor that you want. Okay. Um, it just felt very standard and like it was just put through, um, put through an algorithm and this is what they got. But then yeah. there is a story decision that was made like just past the one hour mark that drew me back in. Um, so yeah, really the one hour mark I was waiting for it to end. But once they introduced this, this story decision, I was like, okay, I, I can, I'll stick with these last 40 minutes. But the fact that it took that long to get there and the fact that I was almost checked out anyway yeah. was a problem. And, you know, it still kind of left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth, you know, when I think back to the movie. Um, so a good, good uh, comparison I made um, with throwing in such a, you know, wacky third act was uh, Moonfall from earlier this year. Um, <laughs> that's, that's why I adored Moonfall because it was kind of was kind of over the top the whole time. The third act especially went, took it a step further. In this this movie, the third act did you know? It, I would say the third act moonfalled it in a good way. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna make that an adjective from now on. But yeah. but for the first two thirds of the movie, yeah. it didn't um, didn't you know grip me enough. So well, well Mr. Tillman, uh, we did not introduce Mr. Tillman, who's back there on Mission Control. You you watched Moonfall recently, man. So uh, you love disaster flicks. So did you appreciate Moonfall or was it, yeah, you're not, you're not, yeah, okay, so like a C plus, yeah, C plus rating for you? All right, well, we'll so you would, you would probably uh, appreciate maybe the last part of, of Lightyear. So if you just want to, you know, check out the showtimes, then go into the last part of it. Uh, may, maybe you think, you think? Yeah, Thomas? I think, yeah, yeah, I think that'll, that'll do it for him. So, right. yeah, yeah. So yeah, there, there were a lot of comparisons to the uh, the failure of, of films like Solo, which you and I both loved, which part of the Star Wars universe, uh, and then and then also there was a spinoff from the Fast and Furious franchise, Hobbs and Shaw, which did not perform as expected, but it was still enjoyable. Um, how do you see the comparisons of those to what we're seeing with Lightyear and the box office results from this? I do think Solo is a good comparison here, um, just because you know there was always the criticism that there wasn't really uh, any members of the fan base, you know, just clamoring for a Han Solo 
um, origin story. Okay. And, um, you know, I still love that film yeah. and think Ron Howard did an incredible job with it and thought Alden Ehrenreich was great at yes. it. Yes. And, um, but, you know, with Lightyear, it's the same thing. There wasn't, I don't think there were many people out there that were just like, oh, I cannot wait to see a Lightyear origin story. Right. And, you know, once we got it, I think, I think it does a good job. Um, I think Solo was a much better film than Lightyear. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those box office and their reception are very comparable. Yeah. Um, and um, so, yeah, and the fact that this was like one of Pixar's most expensive films of all time, one of the most expensive animated films of all time, $200 million. Yeah. Um, yeah. And com take a comparison to, um, you know, another very successful animated film a few years ago, Into the Spider-Verse yes. was made on a budget of just over $90 million. Yeah. Uh, so this was more than, you know, twice the budget yeah. of Spider-Verse, and Spider-Verse was a masterpiece from top to bottom. Um, so I think I think part of that um, that budget uh, difference comes in the fact that Spider Verse a lot of that was hand drawn animation right. and um, you know it took longer but this yeah. was completely you know computerized yeah. and uh, that's just more expensive. So well, uh, franchise spinoffs uh, are risky. Uh, they're always risky, and and legacy franchise films are also risky as well. We've been talking about a lot of those. It is summer. Uh, and that is what, what happens. You, you can't talk about summer without talking about sequels and, and franchise films, and IP films, intellectual property related films. So uh, any other thoughts uh, for Lightyear before you want to give your uh, rating? I will say there's one sequence uh, in the third act of the movie where I'm not spoiling anything, but um, Buzz is following through space. Uh, you probably saw it in trailers, but the way it was shot reminded me a lot of uh, the way that um, in Mission Impossible Fallout, the skydiving halo jump scene, where it's just one single camera following the character. And I mean, yeah. of course, the difference is Tom Cruise was doing that for real with a real cameraman following him. And in this, it's animated, but still the way it's the way it's composed, um, you know, from a cinematography standpoint yeah. is really cool. And that just kind of, you know, major props to the animators for creating something that just feels so, you know, authentic like that. Yeah. So, and your rating? Um, I'm gonna give, uh, like you're a solid B minus, um, okay. and it's one that you know, once it comes out on Disney Plus, I wouldn't mind watching it again, especially with you considering you haven't yeah. seen it yet. So I'd be interested to get your thoughts on it as well. Okay, sounds good. Well, we're going to take a just a quick uh, intermission. We're going to come back and, and dive into uh, another franchise that was originally designed to be a theatrical film that did not happen, and we're going to talk about uh, did that not happen because of Solo? So hang around right after this quick intermission. Won't you come and meet me at the movies? Won't you come and watch a flick? Cleveland Community College has identified strengthening online learning as the topic for its quality enhancement plan. We're calling it SOUL. SOUL's five-year implementation plan is focused on continuous improvement of online courses and promoting student success. We're excited for you to take this journey with us. Hi, I'm Donnie Osmond. You know, it's easy to see why someone would love a little guy like this. Unfortunately, there's millions of beautiful animals out there who aren't so lucky. They suffer abuse, neglect, and cruelty that we can't possibly understand. The American Humane Association works to protect those little ones that we love. They find someone to give them a forever home. So for tips on how you can protect our little friends and build a more humane world, please go to AmericanHumane.org. With your help, puppy love can last a lifetime. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Meet Me at the Movies. Noel T. Manning the second here hanging out with Thomas Manning uh, and also uh, Greg Tillman uh, back on the uh, the Tim Cam. I guess I don't. Is it the Greg Cam now or is it the Tim Cam? Still the Tim Cam. Still the Tim Cam. Uh, we appreciate you spending time with us uh, right here on Meet Me at the Movies. Uh, before the break, we talked about Lightyear and a little bit about uh, the, the the Rise of Gru. Is that the name of the, the Minions film? Yeah, Minions, The Rise of Gru. Talked a little bit about that. That was the Rise of Skywalker. No, no, no. That's, oh, okay. But, but that's you know, but, okay. but speaking of Skywalker, part of the Skywalker saga, you can find on Disney Plus, actually all of them, yeah. but there is a, a series that has uh, completed its run, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series that originally was going to be a movie prequel. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not that, that did not happen, and some are saying it was because of, of Solo, but, you know, you can blame all you want on Solo. I still loved that movie. So let's get your thoughts on this, uh, this prequel. Uh, it, it was it a prequel. Yeah, I guess it still is a part of the prequel, and it stars a pretty cool guy who came back for yeah. this role. Yeah, Ewan McGregor coming back after, uh, let's see, his last appearance was in Revenge of the Sith, which was in 2005. So, wow, um, you that's know, crazy, man. Nearly, nearly 20 years have passed. Um, and so you mentioned this was originally written to be a film. It wasn't just one film. It was going to be three movies. It was going to be a trilogy of movies um, written by Stuart Beatty, who uh, we've we're been a big fan of some of Beatty's work in the past. He wrote uh, Collateral, yeah. the Michael Mann film with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx, which that's one of my favorite screenplays of all time. Um, so he, apparently he had written basically a trilogy story following the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi in between Revenge of the Sith and then A New Hope or the original Star Wars, whatever you want to call it, yeah. <laughs> Star Wars 1977. Um, that kind of follows him as he's a nomad out in the desert and learning to um, you know, reconnect with the Force and communicating with Master Qui-Gon Jinn, of course, the Liam Neeson character. Um, but when he brought this um, to Lucasfilm, um, this was shortly after Solo's very underwhelming box office performance and uh, they decided they were going to turn this into a Disney Plus series. So they basically took his script and kept some of the main components of it, but definitely edited it a lot, added some other storylines, took out some storylines, and then we ended up with this six-episode miniseries on Disney Plus. Um, so going from a trilogy of films, which probably would have been about, you know, six to seven hours long to this Disney Plus series is more like four to five hours long. Um, so there's, that's kind of the origin of that. To me, I, I think it's um, beautiful that we do have uh, avenues for these stories to continue, even if for some reason like this, if this is to be true, that, that uh, it was going to be, be, be theatrical experiences, it didn't work out, but it finds a way to find life, and I think it works really well in this episodic format on Disney+. Plus. I mean, you get to see Obi-Wan and Darth Vader. You get to see Darth Vader back again. You find this out early on. I'm not giving any spoilers also. It's, you know, the, 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 the series has complete, completed itself. Timeline, this takes place about, what, 10 years after yeah. Um, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, that's correct. And yeah, um, so Leia is in this as a 10-year-old. We also get glimpses of 10-year-old Luke as well. Um, but bringing Ewan McGregor back was just an incredible move. Yeah. He He's had an incredible career outside of Star Wars, which a lot of Star Wars actors kind of struggle to find their place outside of the saga. But he has been 
consistently producing incredible work. Um, and Hayden Christensen comes yeah. back. Hayden Christensen does indeed. Uh, Christensen is in the Darth Vader suit. He also, there are some flashbacks with Christensen and uh, he kind of lends his voice in some scenes as well. Uh, but with, with this character of Obi-Wan, it's almost like an old man Logan type Obi-Wan. Yeah. In that he's he's old and aging. He's lost everything pretty much. He's yeah. lost all of his friends. Um, lost everything that he fought for. Um, and he's and questioning himself. He, he's, he is he's asking yeah. himself, "What is my purpose now? Yeah. I mean, and was my purpose right to begin with?" Yeah. You kind of see him struggling. Yeah, and that. he's basically cut himself off from the force, um, and he thinks the best thing for him to do is to not get involved in any sort of conflict that might involve um, those he's still trying to protect. Pretty much his only purpose at this point that he, he thinks is his only purpose is to protect the child Luke, um, you know, 10-year-old Luke. That and he's really from afar. Tasked. Yeah. Watching yeah. from afar. Yeah. And uh, an interesting parallel here with the character of Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi, who cut himself off from those he loved yeah. and secluded himself, thought that was the best way to, um, you know, he thought the best way to help anybody was by not helping. So I think that's an interesting parallel there. Um, and, you know, so a lot of the first you know, three episodes of this are following Obi-Wan as he's trying to figure out, you know, how to get back to what he was, or he's probably never going to get back to what he was, but how do I move forward from here? So. Yeah, yeah. The, and, and anything, all the good things you would expect from a Star Wars uh, type film or series is here. The production design, uh, the costumes, the effects, um, the sound design, all of those things are amazingly uh, solid and, and they rise to what your expectations are. There are some amazing fight sequences uh, between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan. You know, we wondered would we ever get a chance to see something like that again, and we do. Um, we, we also uh, get a chance to hear the iconic uh, voice of James Earl Jones. So uh, this is a series that uh, is pleasing and has pleased fans of the originals, but also those like you uh, who, who grew up watching the, uh, the prequel trilogies yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I talked about how in the first three episodes, it's Obi-Wan trying to figure out a path forward, but then the last three, we kind of get to see, you know, the. Obi-Wan of the prequel era, who's, yes. you know, he gets his power back. I'm not, I'm not really spoiling anything because yeah. anybody could have guessed that's where we're going. Yeah. But we get some incredible action sequences with him. Uh, there's uh, some really excellent choreography with lightsaber duels, um, some, you know, awesome uses of the Force yeah. uh, that it's almost like Force Unleashed type. Yes. The, the video game Star Wars yeah. Force Unleashed. We get a little bit of that action in here. Um, so there's, I think this, um, this series did a great job balancing the um, you know the the thoughtful kind of reflective yes. nature of the character, but also with just the great Star Wars spectacle that we were all uh, you know we were all hoping for. The, the series itself uh, is high on the action, uh, as you would expect, but it's also got a lot of heart to it. Uh, much like uh, you know Charlie Chaplin's The Kid, or you talked about Logan. Uh, there have been so many stories throughout uh, film history where you see this uh, this this character taking on this young kid uh, and, and taking care of them. And th that happens in this as well because th it's a, a story of the relationship between Obi-Wan and Leia that you see forming at this very, very early age. And the, uh, the young 
talent who plays young Leia is marvelous. Yeah, yeah, I believe her name is uh, Vivian Blair. Let me uh, check my notes here. I've got that part of my notes. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> Greg's like, yeah, sure. Just making that name up. That's not a real name. <laughs> it is real. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Vivian Alira Blair, and uh, she is 10 years old, and I had never seen her in anything prior to this, but after watching this, I'm like, okay, she's going to be a star moving yeah. forward. And I think a similar um, comparison uh, to a young actress we saw, you know, first kind of burst onto the scene a few years ago in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time yeah. in Hollywood, we had Julia Butters, yes. uh, who kind of stole uh, stole the show from Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. in a few scenes. Um, Steams, and, a, a, a scene stealer without yeah. a doubt, and you're seeing yeah. that with, with Blair the, as well. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely seeing it with uh, Blair, and she can hold her own in scene acting alongside Ewan McGregor. And uh, so she was, uh, you know, she was phenomenal. She was very much the, the emotional core and the soul of the series and uh, that almost father-daughter type yeah. relationship between um, her and Obi-Wan. Yeah. And it's interesting how, you know, as Jedi, attachments are forbidden. Right. Um, but they, they are uh, encouraged to love unconditionally, yeah. which is like a bit of a, a, it's a paradox. It very much is a paradox. It's so our, kind of yeah. seeing Obi-Wan come to terms with that and with this character, uh, this you know daughter-like character yeah. for him, it's it's very beautiful. It's it's an amazing it's an amazing series, and uh, I continue to be fascinated that here we are, all these decades later after the you know, the launch of of the original Star Wars: uh, A New Hope that stories are still alive, and not just in graphic novels or novelizations, but we're getting, uh, we're getting opportunities to see live action versions uh, with some of the original characters um, and some of the original acting talents uh, as well. And, and I absolutely love that, and um, I hope that we can continue to see that happen to the quality that we're seeing with something like Obi-Wan Kenobi. What is your uh, rating? Uh, with uh, with this series. Solid A- minus for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, Deborah Chow directed all six episodes, which uh, we hadn't seen that in the Star Wars series before. Like Mandalorian brings in usually different uh, director each episode, but with this having that one singular directorial vision, I think went a long way toward the you know consistency yeah. of it all. So. I agree. Solid A rating for me for this series that you can now find on Disney+. Plus. Uh, just a, a month or so ago, uh, you and I talked about Stranger Things, Thomas. Uh, and it was, uh, was it season four, volume one is what we talked about. And volume two, just a few weeks later, it was just launched uh, the 4th of July weekend. And uh, you have checked this out in full. You and uh, your sister Catherine had some marathon sittings. And it's interesting how they did uh, volume one and volume two of this. This one's two episodes, but they're very long episodes. Yeah, so volume two, uh, the first episode is an hour and 25 minutes. The second episode is an hour longer than that. So um, basically two feature length films here for this uh, second volume of the fourth season. And uh, I am glad that I stuck with the show because we talked about it earlier, um, you know, a few weeks ago. We were both very lukewarm on the beginning of uh, season four. Yeah, first and, couple episodes I mean, of that. <laughs> I was I was like, okay, am I ready to leave it? Yes, that's exactly how I was feeling. Um, I think I think I've talked to other people who are feeling that same way. There is something about the the mythology of storylines that relate to the end of the world as we know it. Uh, you, you see it in so many shows throughout, and in films as well. It's just people are drawn to that. People are drawn to to okay, how would I? I think I think it goes back to kind of what if. 
the what if question. What if this happened to you? How would you respond? And that's the beauty of so many great science fiction and fantasy stories is it uh, allows us to look at ourselves and ask that question. And Stranger Things does that without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's always been a story about you know, responsibility and coming to terms with, you know, emotional maturity, but also the, the power of, you know, not only finding strength in yourself, but also finding strength in others and learning to rely on your friends and family and those who love you. Um, and just with that, that central core group of characters who have been there since season one, but also bringing in new characters to become fan favorites. Um, and it's just all, you know, threaded together. Uh, in a very wonderful way. I um, also love the way the series continues to deal with music. Yes. Um, in the first volume of season four, um, the Kate Bush song, Running Up That Hill, uh, it, it kind of um, it ended up breaking all sorts of Billboard chart records because of, the, because of it yes. burst back onto the scene yeah. with the show. Um, then in the second volume, there's uh, use of Separate Ways by Journey, uh, and that, show, that song's coming back. Um, charts again, and then there's a Metallica song, uh, a, a master of uh, master of puppets. That's <laughs> I think that's it. I'm pretty sure that. Okay, uh, write in to info at c19.tv if you want to complain about Thomas not knowing Metallica. No, don't don't write in. Okay, do not write in. Sorry, sorry, Mr. Tillman just corrected me there. So anyway, you know, but even those three songs come from very different genres of music, right. but they're all used, um, you know, to an emotional. Um, in an emotional sense that fit perfectly for each, you know, each situation, each character that they're used for. So. The, the power of needle drops in films and television shows and streaming shows is uh, incredible. And that would not happen without a music supervisor. There are many times a director may come in and, and say, okay, here's what I want. But other times it, it will be left up to the music supervisor to take a look at the scene to take a look at things and then kind of do that. I mean, we, we think about Tarantino's uh, Reservoir Dogs, Stuck in the Middle is, is such a significant song in a particular scene and one of your favorite scenes and you love that song because of that. I do, yeah, and that, I think that was actually one of the, the biggest chunks of the budget for Reservoir Dogs was getting the rice stuck in the middle with you. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Tarantino has always been a master of using needle drops since then. Uh, yeah. I mean, Scorsese is another, uh, another filmmaker who's brilliant at it um, and um, just I think you can add Duffer Brothers to the mix there yeah. as far as uh, filmmakers who understand music on a level that not many people do. Yeah and, and, and uh, you know I'm gonna send out some some love to, to James Gunn, James Gunn and yeah. also uh, Taika Waititi for uh, for finding ways to make needle drops uh, work uh, in films by bringing classic songs back and uh, you know Thor uh, Love and Thunder does that with Guns N' Roses. I mean, Guns N' Roses is getting quite a bit of love uh, in this, uh, this particular film as well. Uh, well, uh, what is your uh, rating for, uh, for Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 2? Solid A. For Solid A. Yeah, yeah. All right, Solid A. Well, uh, maybe in the future we're going to do favorite needle drops uh, for films. I know we've done some of that relating to seasons, but maybe, maybe we need to spend a whole episode uh, doing that uh, at some point. Uh, movie quote of the week. Uh, this comes from the uh, Umbrella Academy uh, season three. The episode's called Marigold. I'm, I'm, I'm really digging uh, season three and I'm hoping to give a review of this a little bit later. Movie quote comes from the Umbrella Academy and we all go a little crazy from time to time. And uh, I, I think for some of us, like Mr. Tillman, it's kind of all the time.
not just from time to time, but all the time. Appreciate you spending time with us right here on Meet Me at the Movies. I am Noel T. Manning II, hanging out with Thomas Manning and for the rest of the cast and crew right here at C19 TV. We appreciate you, and that's a wrap. Train.